Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. And we're also the podcast that twice in the past couple weeks, I've heard people on totally different podcasts whining about how they have to do it because it's so hot because they can't have their air conditioning on. We're the podcast where you actually hear, because we have our windows open, the natural sounds of of Maine come through. Whether it's the city sounds of Portland or whether it's the country sounds of Belgrade. I have a nice ocean breeze tonight. I live between two lakes, so you'd think there'd be a breeze, but there isn't much of one tonight. It'd be nice if you could hear the loons. Oh, yeah. But, um... The one sound you may hear is every once in a while a, a group of tourists walks. There's a woman out there right now who seems fascinated by all the branches down across the street from the microburst. Mm. I think because of the fact that there's more Airbnbs than there had been oh, in yeah. town, we get there. I live on a very narrow little street that doesn't go anywhere, but at least half a dozen different groups, multi-generational groups of obvious tourists a day walk down my street loudly talking and exclaiming well they want to walk by the house of the famous author yeah that's probably it but when it gets dark out which it, it'll be shortly because it's after eight now i think they're scared to be out in the oh, dark yeah. out here in well the there might be a wild animal here. yes yeah and speaking of me being a famous author i have a little bit of news i quit my job mm. as you know but yes, our listeners do. don't. And, and what this means for our listeners is I'll have more time to do stuff. And no, I'm not just like, wee, I don't have a job, yay. Um, <laughs> there, w- there was another job I was doing that's freelance. It actually, if I'm free to do that without the constraints of my full-time job, it's actually just it, the money's almost about the same. And, oh, good. Um, and so, yeah, I won't go into a lot of detail, but I do want to say that I had kind of an epiphany. Before we recorded two weeks ago, you and I both were talking about jobs and stuff like that. Ugh. And I was, and the more I thought about it, the, the structure of a full-time job is kind of a, a trick. You know, you feel like you have to have that. And in America, yeah. in a lot of ways you do because of health insurance. Exactly. Where if you live in Canada or the UK or most of the other first world, your health insurance is not weirdly tied to your employment. But with the um, Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, you know, health insurance will cost me a little more. But I, I feel like it's worth it. Like you feel like you have to yes. have, you have to be in this box of full-time employment and have an employer and all this. And when you think that I sat down and wrote down the pros and cons, and I realized that structure in a lot of ways is more restricting than it is helpful, at least to my life. And I'm happy to, I have one week left. I hope I'm not like one of those cops, you know, on some cliche cop show, oh, one week left and, you know, and then you get, you know, shot. Although I don't really get shot at on my job, so... um. (laughs) But there's a first for everything. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, the job I have now, my boss didn't offer health insurance, and I had to crunch the numbers for that. And I am paying a, probably a, a few hundred more a month to do ACA, Affordable Care Act insurance. I went with the expensive one because I have to cover my daughter, Hannah, right, too. Right. But it actually makes me feel a little bit more independent yeah Yeah. it makes me feel more in control i it's not as scary now that i've actually 
right, done, done it. it. And you have a boss who values what you do and yes. um, appreciates you. But to me, too, this this offers flexibility. Like, I know freelance jobs aren't necessarily, um, even if it's regular work, aren't necessarily secure. But then, are full-time jobs secure? This gives me more flexibility to add other things, things of my choosing that I want. So, Well, the thing about my job, there were pros and cons when I worked for a big box. The pros were that, in a way, it was secure because I knew that they needed someone to do my job no matter what. Right. There weren't many people that could do it. But at the same time, every time a new CEO or something, there's all these, every few months, somebody comes up with some idea they want everybody to do, and we have to change the way we do everything. Mm -hmm. And it always goes back to the original way, because I've been working in big boxes for 20 years, and it's always the same thing over and over again. And people think that they have the brand new way of doing things, and it's always, and it's just, it's exhausting. and And from what I can tell from your big box experiences is... It has very little to do with how you and customers actually interact and what goes on on the floor, but more to do with their profit and also with with marketing and and, um, highfalutin ideas that don't translate into reality. They don't care about customers and they don't even care about retail. It's all a construct. And I know I sound almost like a conspiracy theorist or something, but it's almost like it's just a construct in order to sell the stock so people can make money. I mean, they don't care what the vehicle is. It's just, just it gets so, it's just like, what? Right. So, and I, if I could do something where I didn't have to, you know, work eight hours, nine hours a day at a somewhere, I would, but Well, I'd been saying that and then all of a sudden I realized I could. And the funny thing is, my notoriously judgy family is 100% behind me, or at least is doing so a good job. Think. I know, or at least is doing a good job of of acting like they are. And they're not that good actors, so I have to believe they are. But it's funny, other people are like, well, have you thought about health insurance? Oh, and I'm Jesus. like, no, no I just I quit my job no. on a whim without, you know, what do people think? I'm not 18 years old. I'm I'm 60, you know, and I I own a house that I have a mortgage on. Well, and I think people are projecting because it's scary yes. for a lot of people it not to have scary. their security. But is is I realized the security is a false. It is. It, you can get fired false. at any time. Well, one of the things that um, for for no reason even. Right. I mean, right. they don't need a reason. Right. They can just decide they right. don't want you there. I tell you, it was great being in a union for twenty five years because you knew what was coming. And I'm not going to say a lot of stuff about the place I work. I still have a week to go, and also I'm just. But we did have to fill out one of those best places to work <laughs> surveys. And while I was filling it out, it did help my feelings crystallize. Then I contacted a place I'd been doing some freelance work for and asked, you know, if I were free to do as much work as you needed me to, how much work would that be? And I got a good answer to that. And I'm like, good, I can quit. Why not? But anyway, enough about us. Well, I just wanted to say, too, one of the reasons I left the job I was at is, and I told my boss because he asked me, I'm not a slacker. I know what my job is and I know how to do it. And I honestly, all I wanted to do was do my job. And customer service was very important to me and help customers and do the job and sell them their 
what they wanted and there were constant impediments to that Mm -hmm. and i'm sure a lot of our listeners have the same experience all you're trying to do is do your job right and you're telling your boss i need to do my job correctly this is what needs to happen Mm -hmm. and they don't care no and it's one thing if they don't care and just don't help you okay fine i'll do what i can do but don't try to get in my way of doing my fucking job so i and the customer are trying to fight for them to get their product and you're being a pain in the ass you know and it's just like i can't it's ridiculous and i don't need someone implying that i'm either slacking off or not worth the money they pay me or Mm. or gaslighting me when i tell them i need help and they're giving me this bullshit what do you need help with Definitely in my long experience over the past four decades um, of working for the man, there is uh, something I I like to call managerial gaslighting. You know, people knock unions, but I was in the newspaper guild for 25 years, and we had a very good contract and a strong, healthy union. And one necessity of unions that people don't understand is they force management to behave a certain way to everybody and treat everyone fairly if you have a good union. But just in my experience of non-union jobs, and I've worked at many places, if management doesn't have to treat people fairly, they won't. No, they won't. And Um, that's the bottom line. But anyway. Anyway, um, so are we going to tell people about our Yes, we have a very special episode (laughs) where try not to feel too bad but we are taking a little summer break our next episode will drop on august 9th mm-hmm. after this the good news about me no longer having that full-time job is that i'll be able to fit the this in better and our will be on schedule and things should happen but so today we're having a very special what you're doing on our summer vacation episode where we're going to have some updates and we're also going to make some recommendations about books, podcasts, and TV shows we think you might enjoy since you won't have us to listen to. Yes. Do you have anything to add to that, Becky? No. Okay. Okay, bye. <laughs> no, sorry. So we do have some updates. Do you want to go yes. first? Oh, yes. I have an update. What is it, too? It's... Our episode 29, Wicked Bad Medicine, Annie Dukin. Uh, We've had many updates on this. On Thursday, July 8th, Suffolk County in Massachusetts, District Attorney Rachel Rollins asked the Supreme Judicial Court to decide whether or not to overturn convictions of anyone who was convicted of a drug charge based on evidence from the Hinton Labs between 2003 and 2012. It doesn't matter who the chemist was. Our episode 29 was about Annie Dukin. And if you don't know, you can listen to it. I'm not going to go into the whole story. But she doctored or or changed results of drug tests and caused a lot of people to get convicted when they probably shouldn't have. Or if the judicial court grants new trials, D.A. Rollins is prepared to dismiss the charges on as many as 70,000 cases. If you have listened to my dozens of previous <laughs> updates, you'll know that this is due to lawsuits filed by the Massachusetts ACLU and other lawyers on behalf of the thousands of people convicted on faulty or doctored drug tests. The Supreme Judicial Court already ordered district attorneys in six counties to dismiss charges on over 21,000 drug cases in 2017. Most of the defendants in these cases have served time and are out of jail now. But as one of the defendants' attorneys, James McKenna, who was representing Justino 
Escobar said, it's not a question of getting people out of jail or prison. It's a question of, about making things right, end quote. Justino Escobar's evidence wasn't even tested by Annie Dukin or Sonia Farrakh, who was the other bad acting chemist that we talked about, but was tested at Hinton Lab and his conviction was overturned and dismissed just because of the lab that was used. The ACLU of Massachusetts supports D.A. Rollins' request and hopes that other district attorneys in neighboring counties will follow suit. So far, more than 61,000 charges and over 35,000 cases have been dismissed. Defendants in these cases will be getting millions of dollars in reimbursed court fees and fines that were paid. And who knows what else would happen if some of them decide to sue the state. Unless they have to sign, you know, agreements not to. Carol Rose, executive director of the Massachusetts ACLU, told the Boston Globe, During the Massachusetts drug lab scandals, thousands of people were wrongfully convicted of drug crimes based on faulty evidence and government cover-up. Although we cannot recover all the time, housing, jobs, and other opportunities that were wrongfully taken from people, this litigation has delivered some justice for them, end quote. Also on Friday, July 9th, the Massachusetts Board of Bar Overseers found Anne K. Kismarek, John C. Werner, and Chris C. Foster, all former drug prosecutors, committed numerous lapses, oversights, intentional misconduct, and rule violations when they worked for the Attorney General's office between 2013 and 2016 when the scandal broke and during the aftermath. The board is supposed to recommend sanctions on those three by mid-August. And thank you to the Boston Globe and reporter Laura Cremaldi, who I'm sure is more sick of this story yeah. than I am. And, and wasn't one of the points that Rollins made was that, well, Dukin and Farrakh were kind of the high-profile ones. Yeah, there was no a way. lot of corruption exactly. and, and lack of oversight and stuff there, going on in the lab. There's no way of knowing, yeah, there's right. no way of knowing if other people were doing shit. There right. was no oversight. If those right. two could get away with the blatant shit they were doing, how can you trust anything that's right. coming and out I of think that they found, And I think they found evidence of lack of oversight yes, and other bad I practices. Which I talked about right. on one right. of my updates. And I know we talked about this back when we talked about the documentary about Sonia Farrakh, but I just want to remind people, one of the issues with this also has to do with bail reform, where mm-hmm. our bail system is so screwed up that a lot of people plead guilty just because they're stuck in jail and can't come up with bail. You know, I, I know some people think, well, if they were testing the drugs, blah, 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 the people were probably guilty. But a lot of people plead guilty even when they're not because they're stuck in jail and they need to get out so they can get back to their job or whatever and support their family. One of the things that really should be looked at in the wake of all this is bail reform. When you hear about bail reform, that's basically what it's about. That people who are people who are charged with nonviolent crimes should not be languishing in jail. I know. And the amount of money we spent keeping people in jail when they right. could be out if it's a nonviolent crime, they could be out working and right. it's ridiculous. And, and a lot of these are very small drug crimes that don't whether the person's guilty or not, don't I really think if someone's possessing a small amount of a drug, I don't even understand why. A lot they... of time wasted and money wasted but thank you for thank you and do you have any updates i have two updates oh the first one is on the sarah everard case 
episode mm. 97. Wayne Cousins, the police officer charged Ugh. with killing Sarah Everard, pleaded guilty on July 9th to murder via video link to the mm. Old Bailey from Belmarsh Prison in England. And if you remember, he would also pleaded guilty in June to kidnapping and raping Sarah Ugh. Everard. Ugh. He'll be sentenced September 29th and faces what in Britain is called a whole life sentence, which is basically the same as life without parole in the U.S. He was a member of the Metropolitan Police, also known as Scotland Yard, and Met Police Chief Cresta Dick told the press that she had personally apologized to Everard's family, telling them how, quote, very sorry, unquote, she is for their loss, adding that the force was, quote, sickened, angered, and devastated by this man's crimes. They are dreadful, and everyone in policing feels betrayed. And by the way, um, this is from both BBC News and The Guardian, is most of my information for this. If you're not familiar with Sarah Everard, you can listen to episode 97. Since our episode, some details about what happened that night of March 3rd, 2021, have come out. If you remember, once they charge somebody in the UK, they're barred from releasing mm. a lot of details of the press. So there wasn't a lot of, so there's a little more. Wayne Cousins had only talked to the police once since his arrest, and that was when he was arrested. And then after that, he chose to not talk, according to Crown Prosecutor Carolyn Oakley. The story Cousins told when he was arrested and you'll enjoy this, was that he had gotten into trouble with a gang of Eastern Europeans who threatened him and his family. That's scary. And what The Guardian calls a bizarre story comprised of lies. (laughs) Cousin said he had kidnapped Everard because an Eastern European gang told him to. He claimed they were threatening him and his family after he had underpaid for a sex worker the gang controlled and that he'd met at, at a Folkestone hotel a few weeks earlier. They told him to get them another girl. And he said, Hmm. so he abducted Sarah and met the gang at a lay-by in Kent where he handed her over alive and unharmed. Okay. But obviously, since he pleaded guilty to murder, that's not really what went down. His defense barrister told the court the day of the guilty plea that it represents a truly guilty plea and remorse for what he did. And as he put it to us this morning, he will bear the burden of this for the rest of the life. In his words, as I deserve. (sighs) And according to BBC News, when the defense barrister said that, Sarah Everard's mother in court kind of threw her hands up, possibly in disgust or dismay or whatever, and you can't really blame her. The prosecutor said, Wayne Cousins lied to the police when he was arrested, and to date he has refused to comment. We still do not know what drove him to commit this appalling crime against a stranger. Today is a day to remember Sarah, and our thoughts remain with her family and friends. And the judge... Judge Lord Justice Fulford, I guess he doesn't have a first name, told the court, This has been a mammoth investigation which has produced some very significant results in terms of being able to understand what happened. But those results are not totally shared with us. So Cousins, 48, made some mistakes in the abduction, rape, and murder of Sarah Everard. She was a 33-year-old marketing executive, which just goes to show that even cop criminals aren't necessarily smart about what they're doing. Prosecutor Tom Little of the Queen's Court, I guess QC, that's what that means, told the court that Cousins and Everard had been total strangers to each other. On the night she was abducted, she and Cousins were seen on camera, CCTV, standing by his hired car, his rental car, and it was parked on the pavement with its hazard lights flashing. On March 3rd, the afternoon of the day she disappeared, Cousins rented the car using his own name, his bank card, and two mobile phone numbers, one of which was a number recorded on his police personnel file. 
He drove Sarah from London to Tillman Stone near Deal in Kent. And again, if I'm pronouncing Deal wrong, I'm sorry. It's spelled D-E-A-L. And hmm. um, it seems like it would be pronounced deal, but <laughs> I know that sometimes things aren't pronounced the way they look. But police tracked his route on CCTV and identified him through the car rental agency. All his information was right there. So, duh. He was arrested <laughs> on March 9th, only minutes after he had wiped the data from his cell phone. But, of course, they were able to retrieve that data. Idiot. And I won't go again into all the details about how her remains were found and stuff. You can listen to the episode if you haven't already. But the medical examiner determined that she'd been strangled. The Independent Office for Police Conduct also said on July 9th that 12 gross misconduct or misconduct notices have been served so far on police officers from multiple forces in relation to this case. Some involve an inappropriate graphic that a cop passed around that I think I mentioned in the episode, and also the fact Cousins looked like he had been beat up during his first two court appearances in March, which I also mentioned. The most interesting, though, involved the handling of two indecent exposure complaints against him three days before Everard was killed. If you remember from our episode, on February 28th, three days before she was killed, the Metropolitan Police got two reports from a McDonald's in South London of a guy flashing workers at the restaurant. The flasher was caught, of course, on CCTV. It was Cousins. Despite the Met opening an investigation of him, he was working and under no restrictions or anything for the next few days. The Met said, quote, On 28 February, the Met created a crime report in relation to two separate indecent exposure incidents at a fast food restaurant in South London. It would be inappropriate to comment further given the IOPC investigation. That's what they said back in March, and they haven't said much since. It was largely reported by The Sun, and and a New York-based publication, the International Business Times, had a little more detail. A vehicle registration was noted by people who had witnessed the indecent exposure, and the vehicle was registered to Cousins. While police wouldn't directly say that the man in the footage who flashed indecently was Cousins, eyewitnesses confirmed to the paper that it was him. Workers at McDonald's reported the incident to police on the night it happened, but no action was taken by police. Had Cousins been arrested at that time, according to the International Business Times, he would have automatically had his quote-unquote blue-ticket firearm license revoked and immediately have been suspended from duty. The Met Police are being accused of, of taking the incident lightly. The IOPC, that's the Office for Police Conduct, is investigating why there was a delay and now is investigating the officers who took the report. And it's not clear if Cousins was aware at the time, you know, three days later, he he abducted Everard. It's not clear at the time if he was aware of the reports or the ties to him. A report was supposedly filed that night, but he wasn't charged with it until he was charged with the murder, then they charged him with it. The Daily Mail reported in March that sources say the indecent exposure allegations may not have reached, quote, command level, so colleagues were unlikely to be aware of it, meaning he was able to continue working as an armed officer around London right up to his arrest. And as I said, two officers are under investigation for possible breaches of professional standards in relation to that incident. And it turns out that was not his first fling with Mm. indecent exposure. And I'm sure some people won't be surprised by that. Kent police are being investigated by the Independent Office for Police Conduct over whether they mishandled allegations from 2015 that he indecently exposed himself. Who knows if there were other incidents as a cop that got swept under 
I the know. Rug. The civil nuclear constabulary, which he'd served with between 2011 and 2018, when he joined that in 2011, he underwent an enhanced level of vetting, according to BBC News, and they had no records of complaints or misconduct made hmm. against him when he was hired. The Guardian elaborates that he was vetted more than the average officer. I think what they mean is anyone who works for the CNC is vetted more than any than the average officer. And he served for eight months at the high-security Sellafield's nuclear site and received one of the highest levels of clearance. Hmm. He then transferred to serve in Dungeness, Kent, which didn't require such a high level of vetting. And then in 2018, he went to work for the Met, and they have refused to say whether he was vetted by then. Hmm. But as we know from long experience and one of the complaints about the police that the police don't seem to understand is that they are allowed to get away with things that other people aren't. And who knows how many times there were complaints about him and it got swept under the rug somehow and there's no record of it. In fact, I'd be surprised if there was a record of it because he wouldn't have been working as a cop if he had actually been convicted. But people don't just all of a sudden say one day, ooh, I'm going to indecently expose myself. And people don't go from doing it in 2015 and then not doing it for six years until No, I'm sure he was doing it all the time. Give me a break. So that's the latest on him. Maybe we'll hear more when he, around his sentencing. I'll keep an eye out. My second um, update's a little shorter. It is um, on episode 77, which I keep calling the Breonna Taylor episode, but it's basically the why are black women getting shot by police episode. All my information is from the Washington Post. I'm sure there were other sources as well. An attorney representing Breonna Taylor's family last week filed a lawsuit saying Louisville, Kentucky police may have pushed misinformation and lied about the existence of body camera footage from several Hmm. officers involved in the raid on Breonna Taylor's apartment in March 2020 that ended with them shooting her to death. The suit says that police are continuing to withhold records that show whether there is additional body camera footage from that night. If you remember, police have said that even though they're required to, that a lot of the guys either weren't wearing their body cameras or didn't Hmm. have them on. And what the suit is saying is records that would actually show whether they did or not are being withheld. So so the suit isn't saying we know there's body camera image. They're just saying, show us the records. It's a 10-page complaint that was submitted to the Jefferson County Circuit Court. The attorney representing Taylor's family, Sam Aguiar, requested in the lawsuit that a judge order the police department to release the body camera information under the state public records law. In a statement to the Washington Post, he criticized Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher and his administration for the way they've handled the case that has been plagued by what Aguiar calls deception, Mm. lies, and cover-ups. They've lied since day one and they haven't stopped, Aguiar said, and they're not being forthright and candid about body cameras. The lawsuit comes months after the Justice Department announced it was opening a civil investigation of the Louisville Police Department to determine whether they had engaged in systemic abuses and unlawful tactics with little accountability. The federal investigation is separate from an ongoing criminal civil rights probe 
into Taylor's death, the Post says. And if you don't believe that the Louisville, Kentucky Police Department could be so awful, listen not only to episode 77, but also to episode 95, No Justice for Janetta Carr, which details how the Louisville, Kentucky Police Department treats people. And Janetta Carr, her case never became famous. And part of that is... There are probably many, many Janetta cars. She was a young black girl who was railroaded through false information and police misconduct into serving a sentence involving a murder that she had nothing to do with. And also listen to the podcast Dig about the, the Louisville yes, Police which Department was very and good. the DA's yes. office. That reminds me of a point I probably made it in many ways. The debate in the past year and a half over police and police misconduct, people tend to draw very black and white lines. And by black and white, oh, yes. I don't mean race, though you could look at it that way in a lot of ways. But there's good police and there's a few bad police kind of thing. And I don't think the police... And a lot of people fully understand that, you know, like talking about Wayne Cousins. Yeah, okay, most police hopefully aren't committing indecent exposure, but there's a lot of police who probably look the other way when he did. In New Hampshire, there was recently a case where some police in Bedford, New Hampshire got in trouble where they had a video on TikTok or somewhere where they said, here's what the liberals want us to do. They were sitting in their cruiser. Oh, you're robbing that, that store? We'll just sit here and let you do it. Oh, you're killing that person? We'll just sit here and let you do it. And they got in trouble for that video. But if that's what the police think this is all about, then they really do need a huge reckoning. Exactly. I just don't think they understand even the basics. Deliberately (laughs) not getting it or deliberately misrepresenting how they're getting it to to get other people. I'm I'm getting tired of hearing or reading in news stories and stuff. Well, it's it's things are really tough for the police now. You know what? Things have been fucking tough for black people and poor people and indigenous populations for fucking centuries. So the police need to fucking get over it and figure out how they can do their jobs better. Also, if it's tough for the police, maybe they need to look within. Well, that's what I... (laughs) I know. Anyway, we can segue now into... So we're going to recommend... We're each going to recommend a podcast that people we want people... Not that we want people to listen to, but we think people would enjoy. We're each going to recommend a TV show we think people would enjoy. Mm. And we're going to recommend books that we think people would enjoy. Yes. So do you want to go first with the podcast? Um, yeah... I haven't been listening to anything new lately for podcasts. I don't know. I try, and then I just don't get into them. And then I will say the my favorite podcast, besides us, <laughs> of course, that consistently I enjoy and makes me laugh, and I have recommended it before, is True Crime Obsessed with Patrick Hines and Jillian Pensavale. They watch true crime documentaries or movies. Usually it's documentaries or TV shows and and sometimes movies, and they, you know, they do a commentary on it. And even if I haven't watched what they're talking about, they still very funny, insightful, and it's always entertaining. 
I still recommend them. The other one, I'm just going to give a couple mentions to. The other one that I always enjoy, which isn't a true crime one, is Hidden Brain. And the host is Shankar Vedantam. I've listened to that for years because even before it was a podcast, it's a show on NPR. You know, it's about psychology, but about, you know, how that human how behavior, human behavior. It's always and interesting, even if you think it's always, not gonna it's always interesting. Yeah. He's a very I good like him, yeah. reporter. I don't know. I just feel like the questions he asks are, are stuff that I want to know. There's another one I've been listening to that's kind of frustrating but i still listen to it is aaron menke's cabinet of curiosities which are very very short little they're like 10 minute long episodes and he usually does like two little stories and and you know what they remind me of is kind of that paul harvey rest of the story oh, yeah. or you know when casey Kasem no, used to tell the story yeah, yeah. yeah casey Kasem used to tell his stories uh on the american top 40 but that's the kind of thing it's about like like a guy that went across niagara falls on a, a tightrope guy or right. like uh benjamin franklin's son who went to england you know was an english supporter and left and went to england you know stuff that you might not know about the problem i have is because they're so short a lot of times i'm like what is that all i want to know more, you know more right. about whatever this is so i enjoy it yeah, and it's a nice good. short little thing good. and it's aaron menke's because there is one called cabinet of curiosities that's a kid's podcast and which actually looks kind of interesting which yeah. is kind of like a scary one okay. so true crime obsessed if you've never tried it or listened to it if you enjoy us you'll probably enjoy them they're super funny yeah and i enjoy them and yes i feel like they're my friends even even though yeah, they're not. I know. They probably I would never it. even talk yeah. to me if they met well, me. Well, they would because they're nice people. And I like that one too. I don't listen as much as you, but um, I like it. But the it's one consistent. I, yeah, I'm recommending Laura Richards' podcast. Ooh, I know. I got to listen to her. Crime Analyst. It's up to 29 episodes now, and I like it because she goes into deep detail about investigations. And so far, her first season is mostly about Peter Sutcliffe, who is known Ooh. as the Yorkshire Ripper, or she would say P.S. Once known as the Yorkshire R word, because she won't say their names, and I get where she's coming from on that. But it, and it doesn't really bug me that she does that. I get where she's coming from, but you know I don't do it. In fact. She also misuses the word literally, as in, like, quote, the report literally blew the socks off the people. But it's just a habit Uh, she has, you know. But if you're interested in the details, the psychological details of investigations, weighted to what went wrong and how the patriarchy and misogyny skew investigations then it's definitely the podcast for you. That's what I like about her. She's very... Yes. And that's why this one about the Yorkshire R word is taking so long because there was so much. And she really... I mean, we had talked about the documentary about him. And we had some questions. She has answered all those questions in this. And she also occasionally has episodes, very good episodes about other things, either things in the news like Britney Spears, her most recent one, and Sarah Everard. And also interviews, she interviewed a young woman, I think it was two episodes, Georgia, I'm sorry, I can't remember her last name, who was 14 or 15. Her stepfather killed her mother in front of her. A lot of it is about the red flags and the way police mishandle that type of thing. And it's really good. It's the type of thing that I think helps everybody understand better Mm. how cases are mishandled, particularly domestic violence and crimes against women. And for, like, little shorter recommendations, one 
podcast I listen to every single week. It comes out on Monday. Is This Week in History. Ooh. And it's half oh, an hour long. Good. Yeah, it's from the History Channel. It's half an hour long. And they take something that happened in history on a date during that week and go into it. And it's it's another one that's always interesting. There are some things I think I know about, some things I don't. Um, yeah, I like stuff like that. Uh, and she uh, it, like interviews somebody who knows about it. And it's always, always interesting. I also like the food that built America, which has the history of things like Kentucky Fried Chicken, like the stories behind them, the people stories Heinz ketchup and oh yeah I heard yeah yeah and that's always good too so and I think there's a TV show possibly on the history channel about the food that built America which I've never really looked for so those are my I mean obviously there's a lot of podcasts out there but if you're looking for something to listen to those are my recommendations oh thank you and so next we have TV shows do you want to go first yes mine is a re recommendation because after we watched mayor of east town mom was all into the crime shows so we watched like i said i mentioned we watched happy valley which i still recommend although it's hard to find i had to pay for it i think on amazon like there's it's not on netflix anymore but now we are watching Broadchurch, which i highly highly recommend I'm re-watching it, and I'm still enjoying it just as much as the first time I watched it. The best part of it is the acting. Olivia Coleman is Ellie, and David Tennant as Alec are both so good. But honestly, everybody in the show is a good actor. Mm. I mean, it's just very good. The storylines are good, and you don't really figure out. You don't really figure it out when you do figure it out, or when you do know that the answer it makes sense, which is a good mystery. You know, it's yes. not, it's not, oh, this person from out of nowhere suddenly did it, you know. And so the first two seasons are kind of joined together, even though there is a new story in the second season that the other story is, is ongoing. I've seen the third season. It's not as connected. Oh, we're going to start watching that tonight. Mom's excited. Mm, so excited. mom loves this. Um, but Broadchurch, if, honestly, it's really a cut above a lot of the other. I mean, I like a lot of the British police yes. ones, but some of them are better than others. Yeah. The thing I like about Broadchurch, it's not cliched. The um, relationship between the between the two main characters who are police isn't a cliche relationship um, that you see in a lot of these with the older and the younger, right. or blah, blah, blah. I mean, there are parts like he's a yeah. newcomer that's been brought in to help. Right. That might be a little bit of, of a cliche, but it's yeah, so good. It is. And it, even rewatching it is uh, just like, wow, it is really good. In fact, so. I watched the first two seasons and i think before i watched the third one i would have the rewatch them like i remember it's particularly the first season them. what happened and, and the second season i honestly could not remember yeah i can't remember the, the storyline yeah. the first season i remembered who who did it and everything but the second season i could not until the end i could not remember what happened and i had seen it so that's oh. my tv show well, mine is uh, we're going british here again i recently binged on hbo max cb strike which is based on jk rowling writing as robert galbraith's cormoran strike novels and i was prepared to be annoyed by it but it follows the books pretty faithfully though it has to leave a lot out and therefore it kind of relies too much on those expository discussions about the case Mm, that you're used to seeing on things like law and order because her books are like 600 700 pages long so it's hard to cram all that into two or three episodes. On HBO Max, it's two seasons. The first season is the first three books. 
And the second season is four episodes of the fourth book. But when it originally was on BBC, each one was its own season. Oh, okay. um, Which makes more sense. And the choice of actors is really good. Because one thing that bugs me is, especially on very character-driven books, when the actors look nothing like, or, or are nothing like... Exactly. The people. And, for instance, Cormoran Strike, the way he is physically is part of his character. And they did a very mm. good job. An actor named Tom Burke plays him. And I think he's probably a little better looking than Cormoran Strike is in the books. Interestingly, he has a cleft lip, which Cormoran Strike doesn't have, but which that one review you text me, the guy was kind of snarky. Oh, but like, guy. I guess him having a hair lip makes him interesting. But he's, but I think he's a good actor. Cormoran Strike is not a, an emotionally effusive guy. No. And so maybe the that crappy review, the person did not understand that. And for those of you who, who haven't read the books, he lost the bottom half of one of his legs in Afghanistan, and he was in the military police. And they do a good job of, the actor himself has two legs, but you would not know it by it's two full CGI, legs. It's CGI, Well, they do a good job of it, yes. It doesn't look phony or crappy. You see the stump once in a while, and it looks real. The way he moves and everything looks real, and I I don't act. I have to imagine that's not easy to do. The actor who plays Robin, Holiday Granger, is perfect. She's oh. almost exactly how I pictured Robin. She acts it to a T. I highly recommend the series, whether you've read the books or not. If you've read the books, I hadn't read them for a few years. Maybe it would bother me more. Things would bother me more. But uh, aside from them not being as complete as the books, they're true to the books. Like, I remembered, like, dialogue and and Mm -hmm. stuff. And the setting fits. They didn't, like, you know how sometimes they just randomly change the way an office would look for no good reason? You know, it's they. It looks like they really tried hard to be true in both character and setting. So I, I recommend that. I also just a little mini recommendation for something else. A series. I admit that I haven't seen the past two seasons of. Partly because it's a little. It got too intense for me. But Better Call Saul, Ooh. which is a kind of a prequel to Breaking Bad, and I, I, I enjoyed Breaking Bad. I wasn't as gaga over it as other people were. Better Call Saul is actually, I feel, a much better series. It's much more character-based, and if you remember, those of you who watched Breaking Bad, the attorney Saul yeah. Saul Goodman, played by the fantastic Bob Odenkirk. Yes, I This love is Bob his Odenkirk. backstory, and he doesn't even be- become Saul Goodman till like, the third or fourth season. It's not what you would expect from Breaking Bad. It's him trying to kind of fit in as a lawyer. So his brother is played, his older brother is played by Michael McKean, who you may remember as Lenny from <laughs> Laverne and Shirley, if you're our age. His brother is this high-powered big-shot lawyer, and Jimmy, who's the Bob Odenkirk character, Jimmy McGill, was always the kind of ne'er-do-well black sheep who went to some crappy law school. And now his brother is had a 
a psychological breakdown and like when you go into his house you can't bring any electronics in jimmy's trying to take care of him and he's working at this big law firm and things just happen it's hard to quantify all the things that happen and you'll see some of the characters that you saw in breaking bad if you're looking for another breaking bad this isn't it but if you're looking for a very good character driven show really it's not funny it has funny moments, but there is a lot of pathos. It's poignant. And uh, Bob Odenkirk, this is, I'm probably the only person in the world to ever say this sentence, but he's one of my favorite actors. And yeah, lots um, of people like him. Do that, yeah. And he is just so good at this. If you're looking for something different, it's on Netflix. It may have moved somewhere. I don't know how many seasons are available. You know, they're always messing with us. If you're looking for something American, aside from all the British stuff we've recommended, I highly recommend Better Call Saul. Oh, okay. And that brings us to books. Yeah. And I think we're both recommending the same series. Yes. We're talking about, again, J.K. Rowling, The Corman Strike. And I think the reason you started watching the show is because I told you... Well, um, last month that on my audible, no, I, oh okay. no, that's not the reason. The reason I started watching the show is because I, after watching Mayor of East Town and then The Stranger, which we talked about, I was looking for a good British series. To, do you ever notice, like, on all the streaming services, like all the British series, it has grim, tense people staring yes. at the camera? But anyways, so it's hard to tell what they're really like. And I know there's probably a lot of good ones out there, and I was going to watch what, 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 I can't even remember what the it was called. Unforgiven the Unforgiven. And then you said, yeah, it was so-so, so I'm like, oh, I have to so-so, watch something. Yeah. And so I I had seen the CB strike before, and frankly, I'd totally forgotten that you told me you had listened to those on Audible. I just said, you know, I'll just give these a try get to see if they can fill that void I'm looking for. And they did. Okay. And then I started reading, and I'll just say before you go into your thing, I started reading the fifth book. You know, the series is the first mm-hmm. four. I hadn't read the fourth book, but I just watched it. I didn't want the series to end, so I bought the fifth book to read it, which is actually more satisfying than watching TV. Yes, and I haven't read that one yet because I'm waiting for my uh, Audible. Well, I was going to say you can borrow my copy, but I guess you'd rather listen. I could read it. I like to listen because I can do it at work. I read the first two actual books of the series a long time ago, and I realized when they first came out, I was looking for something to listen to on Audible because I had three credits, and I got Elizabeth George's most recent one and then i got the third uh career of evil corman strike one and then later i got the fourth one which is lethal white jk rowling is one of my favorite writers in any genre her character development is so good Mm. that it doesn't really matter it transcends whatever she's writing yeah um and i know you didn't read harry potter but i'm not gonna i know you're not going to can i please it's not about you okay uh Uh, harry uh, the reason i think the reason harry potter the harry potter series was so popular was because of her character development it wasn't the storyline it was her characters are very very good and people were invested in the characters which any good series has she also wrote casual vacancy and i think she has another regular fiction book yeah that was good the casual vacancy was that was very good the few small quibbles about her books the character of matthew he's unlikable but at least he's not the typical spouse or whatever she does explain 
even though he's not likable and he's he does stuff that's assholeish, at least we can kind of understand, even if we don't agree with him, where he's coming from. Well, well, I want to say too about Matthew. You can see why Robin she started dating him, and this is Robin's husband and the next husband. She started dating him when she was young. And people grow up. I found both on the TV show, I see the relationship and it feels real to me. Both both the fact that she's with with him until she's not. And the fact how he is. It's not like his character suddenly changed. No. It's just that she came to realize what kind of person he was. Exactly. My main quibble that I have, or not quibble, I shouldn't say, my main issue that has annoyed me from the beginning of the books is the character of Corman's ex, Charlotte. Mm. Um, It's mentioned many times through the books that they were together 16 years and almost were married. And they had issues because she's rich and upper class and he wasn't and all this stuff. And she, we know she's manipulative and loves drama. But what's not explained well enough and what I would have liked to have seen or liked to see at some point are what her good points are besides being beautiful. She's always described as being very beautiful. There's some mention of them in this latest one of them sharing jokes or something in the past and stuff like that. But not enough for me to understand what the attraction was that kept them together for all those years. And from what we've seen as the reader, there's not much to explain why he loved her so much or why he was with her for all that time. All the other characters are so well... Uh, even like the most recent one, Lethal White, there was a, the wife of um, this minister, uh, you know, not minister, uh, government minister, who was kind of a idiot right. she was funny and, and she, but she was fleshed up but this woman charlotte well, is just kind of well, like let me say a bitch. let me say i'm in the middle of the fifth book and cormoran does muse more on his relationship with her again i haven't read the books in years but i'm reading this one and my feeling always was that it granted that i don't think the character was fully drawn and i do get tired of the crazy quote-unquote crazy ex thing with women mm-hmm. oh but she's so beautiful well i think part of it is i think my feeling always was and granted this is my supposition because the author isn't explaining it that men tend to stay with beautiful sexy women who may not be the person they should be with because that men are about themselves and not about the other person. And they're self-absorbed, and so it doesn't really matter to them who this person is. I can understand that to a certain point, but for six, right. 16... Right. Well, to Corman... me, let me... Okay, 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 let me just say, to me, that is not a big issue. With the one I'm reading right now, I find Charlotte kind of an annoyance. It's not like it's the biggest. It's just that that's my right. one, the one thing that I have really two, bugs me. I have two things that bug me. She, okay. ha- she has several times had disorientated instead of disoriented. Ah. And okay. maybe in Britain, <laughs> they has, say grammatically incorrect things like disorientated, but it should be disoriented. And also there are some points of view slips in the middle of scenes and you know i have an issue with that you don't like that but that said i will say as an author it can be hard to fully develop secondary characters i understand that and charlotte is more about cormoran 
than it is about well, her. And Charlotte. well, that's but. the thing, though. That's one of my issues. Is he seems like a more thoughtful. I think uh, once you re- listen to the fifth book, you'll understand it a little more. Or read it. And I just, you're right. And I just want to say before we spend like 20 minutes talking about friggin' Charlotte, which she would like us to do, by the way. But, oh, Charlotte um, would, yeah. The fifth book, which came out last year, incorporates a lot of Me Too sensibilities into Ooh. it. And she's not hitting me over the head with it. But Robin, who's, spoiler, single, Matthew's given her a hard time on the divorce, and I wish Robin would realize that it's just another way of him controlling her. But yes. maybe she will. I'm, I'm not, I'm only halfway through. But a lot of the way people react to Robin and the way she's treated, a lot of other things, they're looking into a cold case that happened 40 years before a missing woman. And so there's a lot of discussion about how women are treated and the kind of cards are stacked against them in some ways and the subtle issues, a lot of the stuff that's come up with Me Too. And I think J.K. Rowling does a very good job in this book of not making it this big screed, Me Too screed, but weaving it into the storyline. And I think people who like character-based mysteries... Particularly mm. long ones, which I do this. Yes. Another reason I like Elizabeth nice George, and, and I you don't want it to end, and it's exactly, um, and it's great. So I highly recommend. I um, do too. The printed books now, the audio. How do you feel? Oh, about I want to say okay. So that's what I was just going to say. The Audible, and it's on. They're on Audible. I like the reader Robert Glenister, and I, as you know, Mo, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on here, but I have listened. I listen to a lot of Audible books. Yes, you do. Uh, because if I'm doing work or something, I listen to podcasts too. But sometimes I'm just not in the mood. And a good book is if the reader's good. He's a good. Reader to Robert Glenister, and it, it can make a big difference. I've had some books where it really can color your idea of the book if you have someone that sucks. Unlike a lot of the male readers, his woman's voices, and it's not like they do different, but you know, if you're doing a conversation, you kind of have to do different inflection. His yeah. woman's voices are not annoying. Some of them do really bad job on the women's voices. Yeah. My one issue with him is his voice for Cor- Cormoran. It sounds, it messes with my idea of what he looks like. So I, if, hopefully if I watch a TV show, I'll have a better, because he makes him have this really strong accent and they talk like, like a really like gruff voice. And he sounds just like the guy that played Hagrid on the Harry Potter movie. So that's uh-huh. why I picture a guy with bushy hair. Not necessarily. I know Corman doesn't look like that, but for some reason I have that picture in my mind of this big, fat, bushy hair guy with a beard, even though I know Corman's attractive in his way and everything. It's hard to get over that when the voice sounds just like that. So that's my one issue with the audiobooks. But other than that, he does a really good job. That's good. And he's good with accents. Like it's not distracting um, like it can be. If you do like audiobooks, I highly recommend them. And I like the British ones better anyway. I don't know why, but it seems like they have better readers. The printed ones, too. I mean, I just, I love the series. I think she does a great job. Yeah. And if you're really looking for something to read, you can read my books, too. Oh, yeah. Maureen Milliken. Yes. 
if you haven't read them yet. And she's working on another one, but it's not in the series. So. Well, I'll get it done now that I've gotten rid of that job. Exactly. I think we have links to them on our website, Crime and Stuff Online. We should. Or just Google me, Maureen Milliken, and you will... Cold Hard News is the first one. Yes, thank you. And that we have a Negative Nellies today. Yes, we have a Negative Nellies record. And we're doing a joint one. <laughs> The name of the series is... Sophie. Right, and it's a docu-series. Documentary, three-episode... <laughs> do- I'm trying to remember. It's a three-episode documentary, and what, ne- it's what that, streaming it's on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. And it's the story that you're, many of you are probably familiar with of Sophie... French last name. God damn it. I can't (laughs) Um, remember her name. And we discussed a few years ago a podcast about it. West Cork. Cork. She was the French um, documentarian who was murdered in her vacation home in West Cork in Ireland. And I also had read a book about it, which has colored my view of this docuseries. And, And it's not a spoiler and no surprise to anyone. There was a journalist, Ian Bailey, a British guy who lived there, who was the strongest suspect in her murder but has never been charged and the murder happened in what he's 19- never been charged in ireland right right and it happened what in 1995 Six. Six. 1996 Six. christmas of 96 96 so bad, bad reenactments no i didn't i had no i'm taking away half a point <gasps> Ooh! there are okay. not reenactments there are hardly any but and this this kind of goes along with one of my whole issues of the documentary, which it kind of subtly pushes readers towards Ian Bailey's guilt. You mean watchers. So right, whatever. your watchers. A woman who was a teenager who was in his house around the time of the murder saw a coat soaking in mm-hmm. a bucket. Yeah. And they show a coat soaking in a bucket in a way that you would only think And who knows, it was a long time ago, and it wasn't of anything of significance to her at the time. Yeah. So who knows what it really looked like. So I felt like showing that, you know, it's like when they show something in court that isn't, that makes a jury think that's what really happened yes, with it, didn't, you know, kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. So I'm taking away half a point for that because overall, and you'll see as we go through the list, I feel like yes. I liked the documentary overall, but I do feel like there were things yes. that pushed yes. it in that direction. So that's half okay. a point. Narrative cliches, I'm taking off a point. Ooh. Not narrative. Well, yeah, I guess it's narrative. It's for the documentary cliches. They're showing the B-roll of somebody mm-hmm. while their voice is talking. That type of thing. I, I just, after a while, it just annoyed yeah, me. Yeah, there were no tea kettle. Well, there was one tea kettle, but it had to do with something, if I remember right. It wasn't. There might have been a tea kettle. There was coffee. Anyways, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. what about you? I was going to take away half a point for the same thing. That mm-hmm. I felt like it was, in some ways, textbook documentary. Exactly. Okay, racial gender obtuseness? I didn't have any. No, no. I was looking for, like, female-ish obtuseness, but I didn't feel... There, there was a little, I think a little some, but it, it was not the documentarian's you know, who were doing it, so. Lack of good visuals, no. There were lots, it was actually. Yeah. I thought the that was the one of the best things about it was, because I had listened to Wes Cork, the 
podcast, right. seeing the setting, and they did show a lot of uh, aerial views about how, you know, it's down on this peninsula and how beautiful mm. it was. Uh, the funny thing is, though, they do say it's, they kind of make it sound like it's rugged or it's wilderness, and it's not really wilderness. No. Like they could the talk about we this... think of wilderness. Right. It's very manicured, the whole island. It's like people have lived there for thousands of years. Right. Farming and whatever. It's, it's not like it's wilderness. It's and, remote Yeah, it's remote. And also, it's funny, they talk about the what a small town it is, but then they show the downtown. That downtown in Maine would be a fairly big town. <laughs> I know, but I looked it up and they said there's like 600 residents. Really? Maybe so, it's just the difference in architecture or something. I don't know. But yeah, it's a cute place. It I is mean, cute. I want to go there, yeah. Um, so good visuals. Uh, missing pieces, I took a point off. Me too. I feel like there could have been more time spent. And this might be just because I, I listened to the Yeah, me too, I but knew there still. Was more. I don't want to take away from the victim, but they spent a lot, a lot of time showing pictures of her and talking about what a great, wonderful person and how vibrant she was, blah, blah, blah. Um, I would have liked to know more details about the case. Also, there were other people that could have done the crime that were not mentioned at all. Yes. And that's my biggest problem. Yes. Missing piece. Yes. And what about you? Me, they left out, because I listened to that West Cork documentary, and I yes. also read a book. It was not a big book. It was not a very well-written book, but it did have a lot of details. They left out, there was another guy who'd been yes. seen. There was. Um, they left that out. I do believe that that woman, Marie Farrell, who claimed she saw Ian Bailey yes. on the bridge, was with a boyfriend that night. Yes. They made it sound like at first she said, I was with somebody, but he wasn't a boyfriend or anything. But later, she admitted it was. Yes. And yes. they didn't have that in there. They just left it that he wasn't. I do believe he was a cop. Yes. Which they left out, and which is why, of course, she did what she did. And when you wa just watch the documentary, you're like, okay, she's this crazy woman who yes. told her story and then retracting. She claimed Ian was intimidating her, but they, exactly. they didn't say whether anyone had ever witnessed all these intimidations. And um, then they didn't say after whether she took that part of it back. Like, right. was he or wasn't Right. He? And it's also possible, if he had been, that because she was lying yes. about seeing him on the bridge, that he did say, why are you lying about seeing me on the exactly. bridge? So, But th they use that to make it sound like he was... And I'm not saying... I don't know if he's innocent or guilty, but we'll I. get to that later. Either in the book or... In the podcast, he was able to produce what he said he was writing the night she was killed. Like, his alibi was that he was in his writing place. Mm -hmm. And there was some something about it that was able to kind of show it was probably that night he was writing it. And now I can't remember the details mm. of that. But they didn't have anything about that. And also, people were all aflame that they didn't prosecute him after all that stuff came out with the libel suit. And the documentary did not emphasize the fact that the prosecution already knew all that stuff. Yes. What came out in the libel suit, maybe it was news to the public, but it was the case it, yeah. against him. And mm -hmm. so it was already known to the prosecution. Exactly. And they hadn't prosecuted him. And also... There's some other stuff to do with this, but I'm putting it under storytelling because okay. of what it goes. So um, for all those things... Negative one. Yes. Okay. Inaccuracy, anachronisms, no. I no. Think, no. Okay, storytelling. I took a half a point off. 
part of it was because of the mis- what we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it jumped around at first too much. It was hard- I thought it was hard to follow. I feel like if I didn't already know a lot about the case, I would have a hard time understanding mm. at first what the hell was going on. Maybe that was just me, though. What, what about you? I'm taking away a point okay. for some of the things we talked about, but my issue with the storytelling... Some of it could also go in her holes, but I think it's an overall issue that the story is told in a way that you end up thinking it just seems logical. Exactly. That Ian Bailey did it. But if you look at it more closely, first of all, Bailey looks good because he's, if you watch that documentary, he's the only one they investigated. And in the town, they really didn't investigate. They There were other people they could have but they pretty much focused on him. Exactly. They never investigated a murder before. They immediately assumed it couldn't be one of them. So it has to be the strange guy. Exactly. The fact that a couple times in the documentary they say there's no evidence against anyone else. It's because they haven't looked for evidence. And there's mm-hmm. really no evidence against Ian Bailey either. And I'm not saying... I'm just saying the documentary chose to present it in a way. And that's why the, yes. the, the smug guy journalist, Michael, something, they had a couple different talking head journalists, totally discounts the murder for hire thing, saying it's ridiculous. The two reasons are, why would somebody go all the way there to kill her? And how would they find it? And I'm saying, if I were her husband or her ex, that's where I would send somebody to no kill her. Shit. So so I'm not saying it was a murder for hire, but I'm saying it's, that it's not a ridiculous theory exactly. because because she's going to be alone in this farmhouse. I'm here in France. You bet I'm sending my paying this guy to go there to kill her and I'm going to tell him where to find her. You no know? Shit. And he also was like and and he wouldn't have a weapon with him. Well, you don't know maybe he did. Maybe he dropped it and went in the struggle with her or something and then w- picked it up later maybe something happened with the weapon so he had to kill her you know you don't know that's the thing supposition like when you don't when the other things aren't investigated there's no way of knowing right some other specific things are the less smug journalist the one i kind of like barry or whatever Uh, but he made it sound like the prosecutor's reasons for not prosecuting are all about taking bailey's word for things over other people oh yeah yeah and there's actually way more to the reasons it wasn't prosecuted than just like a he said he said no shit that woman ariana who was the teenager in bailey's house around the time says the scratches didn't look to her like they were briars or from a christmas tree and that's fine but she was a teenage girl looking at something at the time she didn't realize what the significance was she wasn't examining his scratches or inspecting them and the cop who drew them granted it's not like taking a picture and it, it wasn't great but the scratches he drew were nothing like the ones that she or the other woman described i know and I we know. know how memory can play tricks on people and you can think you remember something a certain way you don't and i know what she said to the cops at the time but and again i'm not saying he didn't do it but i'm saying the documentary presents these things as though they're fact and they're not then even if marie did see someone on the bridge it's three in the morning in december i know with no street lights how do i i would have discounted that from the beginning no shit that she would be able to identify (laughs) 
I know. And everybody knows eyewitness testimony sucks. And the documentary had no one. I'm sure there's somebody who would have said that. And they had no one to say it. And I do agree that Ian Bailey is a domestic abuser. And he did that abuser thing of blaming the victim. Oh, yeah, I know. Talking about. I know that. And, yeah. and he has all the personality traits of somebody who is a domestic domestic abuser but we've seen in other cases where you think the domestic abuser was the murderer and he wasn't yes he did lie about interactions with sophie but lying about interactions with her and knowing her and stuff does not none of that is evidence that he did it and they kind of present it as though it is exactly And, and also his statements to people I don't even think those are necessarily admissions of guilt. Like they say, well, it doesn't sound like humor to me. But he could have been being sarcastic like that kid in the West Memphis 3 who said to the girl at the softball team, yeah, I did it, you know, in the way people present what they heard him say. Why would he go around just kind of blabbing out out to people that he killed her? It doesn't make sense to me. I'm not saying that people are lying, but there was even one case in the documentary where the documentarian, where he says something to the documentarian, and then the documentarian later repeats it to that smug cop, Dwyer. Yes, yeah. And the documentarian misrepresents what yes. Ian Bailey said. And it's like, see, this is how easy it is I to know. think you heard something and tell somebody else what you think you heard. Yep. Like, I think Ian Bailey said something about, well, I was from England and I was well-educated, blah, yes. blah, blah. And then the documentarian says to the cop, he says you've only dealt with uneducated people. I know. And it's like, here's a textbook example of how you're telling somebody not what you heard, but what your brain formed it into. Uh-huh. And so people's recounting of what Ian Bailey may or may The bottom line is, there's no fucking evidence against him. I know. None. I know. And you can say a lot of cases are circumstantial, but this wasn't even circumstantial I know. evidence. There was not one iota of evidence, and mm-hmm. I don't ever want to be, just like Italy, I don't ever want to be accused of a charged with a murder in france because their justice system seems totally fucked up to me i know it's weird. it's how you feel i'm you know you're supposed to like convict somebody on how you feel a bouquet well, of evidence yeah but anyway okay so freshness i took a point off just because i feel like it's kind of been told before a couple times this story they didn't bring anything new really and i felt like the way the documentary was produced was kind of right. I took like half a said textbooky. Yeah, I took half a point off because there was not one thing in that documentary that I didn't already know. Exactly. And I, and I was kind of hoping that because it was just recently made, there might be some information some better information. The reason I'm only taking half a point is that while we have listened to a podcast and I did read a book, people who don't listen to like podcasts and stuff may not be familiar with it. So that's why I'm only taking away half a point. Um, Beating the drum, I took a point off because of what you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, It seemed to point the finger at Ian Bailey, although they never gave him, they did give him a lot of airtime. I'll give him that. But they still made it seem like there was no one else and that he got away with murder. I felt like that was the message they were sending. Like you said, I don't know if he did it or not. I go back and forth. He's an asshole. Yeah. He's an abuser. Mm -hmm. He's full of himself and he's 
unaware of he can't read the room worth shit i mean he doesn't understand what people think of him he doesn't understand how weird it looks to go look in the windows like to go around the crime scene tape and and go around the you know you know what i might have done that myself i know (laughs) i know but what i'm saying he he has issues but that doesn't make him well right and there was one guy in the documentary who said i think he was convicted for his personality yes it was that jewelry designer right i to him taking off a point for those same reasons and yes they did give him plenty of time plenty of time to show the people watching you know kind of how obnoxious and what a jerk he is but aside from the jewelry designer saying that they didn't have any there was another woman that said something like that too. right who's like yeah the woman with all the books like i don't know if he did or no not oh her but then there was another woman that but what they didn't have were any kind of experts. I mean, for all the talking heads they had, they didn't have anyone to talk about some of the things we had talked about. Like what it kind of evidence matters and how they they kind of glossed over how the police had really fucked up the crime scene. Yeah. It would have been nice to have somebody who could say, yes... All this speculation can make him look guilty, but that's why we have a legal system that Mm -hmm. relies on evidence and not people saying just because the guy's like this, he must be the murderer. They make you feel, when you watch it, it's hard to remember as you're watching it that most of what they're presenting to you is not evidence against him. Exactly. Well, the thing I wanted to say about him misrepresenting, he said, I never met her. He wasn't necessarily lying. She told her friend that she was going to meet him, like she had spoken to him on the phone or something. So him saying, I never met her, isn't necessarily a lie. He was misrepresenting it. He may not have never actually met her to talk to her in person. He may have set up this thing. He was going to meet her for dinner or whatever on the phone so they could talk about some stupid thing he was writing or whatever. But so him saying, I never met her, isn't a lie. He never met. He talked to her maybe on the phone or something, but they never met in person. Right, and then like I think on the either the podcast or the book, somebody said, "Well, he did meet her. Like he was doing work for that guy." Yes, on the podcast, blah blah blah. But it wasn't. It's it was like a passing thing, kind of thing. It's not like he did say my neighbor pointed her out to me. So he may have a different concept of what meeting somebody or knowing somebody means. And again, even if he was lying about that. It doesn't mean he killed her. It yeah, just means course. he, why implicate himself? And I'm not saying it's good to lie to police, but other people do. And also the whole thing about the timeline, the day of the murder, and what he told people when oh, yeah. and stuff. It it's easy people for people. Right. I feel like too much weight is given to people's memories of unimportant things, and no weight is given to what the evidence. Could have been. And, and the only thing I'm grateful for is that they didn't bring the whole stupid wild animal possibility into it that I <laughs> I think was in the book. It was kind of like the owl thing in the staircase. Oh, it's just like a lot of the other ones we've talked about. There's no way of knowing. I don't know. I don't, it's like Stephen Avery. Yeah, I don't believe one way or the other. Stephen Avery, I actually don't think he did it just because yeah. there's a lot of reasons why. Yeah. But I, it's not like I'm saying he's a wonderful person and right, I right. you know, want to well, and, and that's, with him, and that's but... the thing, too. Like, a lot of people say, well, Stephen Avery probably did it because look what he did to that cat when he was 19 or whatever. And it's like, people can be total 
fucking assholes, but that doesn't obviate the need for an actual investigation and evidence if you're going to convict them of murder. In fact, it makes it more necessary. It makes our justice system, any justice system, more vital. In well, what if you think, think about you know, when you re- we read the book, I'll be gone in the dark about the uh, Golden State Killer. All the people that looked like there were a lot of people that looked like they could have been the person. And there was a lot of just as much evidence against them as there is about Ian Bailey, like circumstantial stuff that they probably could have convicted. There's literally no evidence. Well, that's saying there was my final score on that was 6.5. And I do recommend I thought it was good. But I do think that you if you do watch it, I would recommend listening to the podcast, not just believing what they're trying to feed you. It is nice to see the people and see him talking and I would call like I would visual. have it as a companion piece yes, to exactly. that podcast. And um, the podcast is on Audible. It might yeah. be on other streaming services yeah. now too, but it was, it was a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a few years ago. In fact, that's why I got Audible was to Me listen too. to it. It's really too bad that if he is innocent, it's basically as bad as him being convicted, the fact that he's had to live the past 30 years almost being considered a, a murderer. Oh, I know one of the things I wanted to mention, kind of in the the theme of all the other things, is they immediately, even though they have a lot of outsiders and stuff living in the town, they immediately took the position that it couldn't possibly be one of us, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. who did this. And that really skewed the investigation. So you immediately start looking for an oddball. Exactly. You know. Which um, happens a lot. Yeah. And when it, it could have been anybody. It really could have. She had her... I'm not blaming her. No. But she lived up on that hill. She had her light, the lights on. Some, no curtains. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. And, Some and, weirdo right, could and have even been walking by. Right, and or, even if it had been a, a hire, and I think it was either the podcast or the book that kind of made the case, it could have been because there was another stranger in town, blah, 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 there were. who would come <laughs> on the plane and everything. It may have been he gets there, and it's not as easy to just go and kill her, because despite the fact it's a remote area, it's not like you're going to sneak up in the woods like if it were my I house. Know. And there, it looked like that other neighbor, the one that Ian knew, wasn't, even though she her house was by itself, the other house was close to it, kind right. of. They were kind right. of together. Right. But, I don't know. It, anyway, I, I, I kind of recommend it, but like I was going to watch it again. Just to get my NNW down, and then I realize I don't want to because I'm so bothered by what it's missing. Yeah, that even though it's not, it's good to look at and it's interesting in a lot of ways. I just didn't want to sit through it again. I wonder if they ever did one about a main murder if they'd have as pretty, pretty like views and stuff. Well, we would hope. So that's it. We'll be back August 9th. So I think that's it. Yes. Right? Thank you, everybody. Thanks yes. for listening. Thanks. Have a fun summer. Yes. Bye-bye. Good night. Cheryl Rollins asked the Supreme it, Judici- I think it's Rachel Rollins. Do you have your phone with you? Yeah, I'll call her right now. No, <laughs> just look on that f- 